like that little devil on your shoulder, the the voice in your head that says, I can't, it's too hard. Uh, you, you don't have it. You're, you weren't, you didn't earn it enough to be where you are. You, you shouldn't be at bad water. What is up, Trail and Ultra friends? Hey, just wanted to come and give a quick introduction to our guest today, Aaron Hale. Aaron is the first blind and deaf finisher of the grueling Badwater 135. Outside of that, Aaron's journey is nothing short of extraordinary. He's a former chef in the Navy, turned EOD tech in the Army, when his life took a drastic turn when an explosion took his eyesight. Complications from some surgeries and some time later, he ended up ultimately losing his hearing as well. Today, Aaron is not only a keynote speaker, but he's also an accomplished ultramarathoner, a skilled chocolatier who owns EOD Fudge, the best fudge I've probably ever had, and he's also a savvy real estate investor. Beyond his professional accomplishments, Aaron is a loving husband and a devoted father to three boys. All that being said, let's go ahead and meet up with the boys of the trailhead and dive into their conversation with the one and only Aaron Hale. This is the Trail Trash Podcast. What is up, Trail Trash Podcast listeners and friends? We are here tonight with the legendary, and I say that because I mean it, the legendary first, and as far as we know, only blind and deaf runner to finish Badwater 135. We are sitting here with Aaron Hale tonight. Aaron, how are you tonight? What's up, my man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Hey, we really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to hang out and, uh, Talk to us trashy runners here. Uh, and I say trashy because that's, you know, John's the most accomplished one out of us and the rest of us just like to bring up the rear. So uh, we, we keep it, we keep it trashy, not classy. We'll put it that way. So, um, yeah, I think I told you uh, in an earlier conversation that, you know, all of the qualifying do a hundred, do a hundred milers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did to, to get myself into bad water. Not a single one of them did I finish with more than 30 minutes to spare. So I'm right there in the same crowd. There you go. There you go. Power to the back of the pack. So there's the party pace is what we'll call it. I mean, we're the party pacers. So why well, rush right. things? Right. Yeah. You don't. You know. You don't get to enjoy as much. So you know. You get to suffer as much. I guess you don't get to pick over all the aid station leftovers. Hmm. You know, I like. I'm, I'm. I'm here for the scenery. <laughs> <laughs> So, so speaking of aid stations, let's just kind of go into that because it's just it's it's a convenient thing uh, with your history uh, being a personal chef to a three star admiral in the Navy, which we can talk about that if you want, how you don't just luck into that. I don't think um, you don't just happen to meet a guy and say, hey, I can cook some some good burgers. Uh, you want me to cook you one? And the next thing you know, you're you're touring around Italy with him. Um when it comes to aid stations, do you make your own food or do you just pick off what they have or how does that work? And if they're making something and knowing your kitchen skill set, does it maybe not taste as good as something? Or would you sit there and say, you know, I may have put a little more of this in there or maybe a little more of that. 
uh, or, or do you make your own food? You know what? Even uh, to the the most highly trained chef, which I am not, uh, hunger is the best spice, right? Mm -hmm. So I, uh, on a <laughs> on the road, I will eat anything and everything, but sometimes I don't even know what's there. So you know, my 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 crew, my my guide, you know, pacers, they'll just say. Hey, hey, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. What, what do we got? I don't want to. <laughs> and it, it is so funny. Uh, a buddy, uh, Bob Moore, uh, was guiding me for the, uh, the it was a canal corridor in Akron. And it was the middle of the night. It was freezing cold. We get to an aid station. He goes, you want pierogies? I'm like, what? Yeah, I want pierogies. You want some bacon? Yes. Yeah. So it comes with one of those like paper boat, like the fry boats, and it's got these pierogies and they're just dripping with grease. He's like, I had them dip the pierogies in the bacon grease. I'm like, I love you, man. <laughs> Don't tell my doctor um, that I would love to try that. So I'm not supposed to. He'll be mad. But um, hey, based on some of the pre-race chatter, it sounds like Garrett's ready to stuff his running shorts with some of that fudge and kind of use that for fuel. I mean, <laughs> it probably would keep really well. It tastes really good. I'd probably have to eat it earlier when I have the energy to chew than, than later in the race when I don't want to chew. Um, Aaron, you oh, are... Hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on. John just said he's you're going to stuff your shorts with fudge. I honestly think <laughs> we may have hit a, an all-time low on this show with that comment right there. I'm just going to move on and just, and just, uh, I'm sorry. I had to say it. <laughs> no. We fly by the seat of our pants. See what I did there? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you are now a fudge chef. Are you, a, are they chefs or are they bakers? I don't know if that's, if with it confections, is that uh, yeah, I'd say technically I am a chocolatier slash confectioner. Confectioner. So, all right. Um, well, anyway, your fudge is divine. It's everything that every other fudge wishes it could be. So I will put it that way and I will leave it at that. It is worth everything. So kudos to you for that. Um, so let's just go ahead and dive right on in because I really want to know the bad water story. Why? What of all the races in the world? Why Badwater? That one is nowhere near anywhere of my I might run that race one day lists. It's on my I will probably never try to run this race list. And yeah, yet here you on are. My no thank you list. <laughs> yeah. And then here you are. You're just like, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. How did you settle on on of all races, Badwater? You know, I've never been uh I've never been afraid of taking on a challenge. I mean, I went from joining the Navy to switching over to Army Bomb Tech. So the guy that gets in the bomb suit, the hurt locker dude. Uh and then <laughs> uh I could get injured, lose my eyesight, four years later, lose my hearing. Mm -hmm. And in that whole process, I decided that I was going to become a mountain climber and a marathon runner and a whitewater kayaker. I lose my hearing and I do what anybody in my situation would do, start a chocolate company. Uh, that's natural. 
Okay. You know, it's, 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 it's definitely a very linear progression. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was, I, I forget exactly when I even learned about Badwater, but I think it was on my my path towards my first marathons. Uh, and this was about 2013 or so. I was, I, I lost my eyesight. I was blown up in 2011. And it took me a while to recover, learn how to be blind. But I was terrified of being stuck and like trapped by my condition, right? Mm -hmm. uh, afraid of leaving the house. And so I just kind of researched what other blind people were doing. And there was a few names that kept popping up, like Eric Weinmares, the first blind person to climb Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I looked him up. And I <laughs> went mountain climbing with him. And Lonnie Bedwell, another Navy guy, and he's the first blind person to kayak the entire Grand Canyon. It's, so I looked him up and I went kayaking with him. And there's a guy named Ivan Castro who uh, stayed on active duty as an army ranger after losing his eyesight. And I figured, you know, if these guys could do this amazing stuff, of course, Ivan wasn't like, you know, kinetic. He became a, a recruiter for special operations. And I called him up and in one conversation, he told me that he'd run, he makes a point every year to run the uh, uh, Marine Corps Marathon, the Army 10-Miler, and the Air Force Marathon. And I thought, that's super patriotic and cool. I think I'll do that too. So I registered for all three of them. And then you know, I live. I live in here in the, the Florida Panhandle. And somebody said, "You gotta gotta run a local you know, marathon, a little thing, mm -hmm. uh, instead of these big big races." And I signed up for the Pensacola, a nice cozy little uh, marathon. And then some nonprofit, a veteran service organization, calls me up and says, "Hey, we'll 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 foot your airfare, room and board, and registration, all that if you want to come run for us in San Antonio for the Rock and Roll Marathon." I'm like. Yeah, why not? So before I even thought about it, I was running four marathons and a 10-miler all within a span of four months. <laughs> and I hadn't run anything longer than a 10K in my life. So, uh, yeah, I needed a coach. <laughs> get, get Start training. Anyways, along the way, I was... I was running these, these marathons, which I had never even considered before losing my eyesight. And... I heard about people that go even further than 26.2 miles blew my mind. And it opened my, my world up to all these other you know, tests and challenges. And I'm definitely down for a challenge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's one of the, you, know, you got to be one of those just guys, right? You, you see Everest or, uh, you know, imagine cross, cross country skiing to the South Pole or, you know, doing a rim to rim, you know, all these wild ass, you know, challenges and they'd like pick your, you know, your ears up. You're like, what? That sounds like so much fun where everybody else is like, that's nuts. And <laughs> I guess I'm one of those guys. Uh, Welcome to the club. So I heard about bad water. I was nowhere near, you know, like that level. Uh, but I, you know, I hadn't run an ultra yet. 
So uh, I found a coach to to do that. I run uh, my my first few marathons, and then um, unfortunately. I contracted meningitis. I lost my hearing in 2015. I was pretty much out of commission for a whole year. But then 2016, uh, it kind of made my comeback. A year after the meningitis, I ran the Akron Marathon, my hometown marathon. Uh, and it just happened to be the week of my 20th high school reunion. Mm-hmm. And I came back after my second near-death experience and got my very first sub-four-hour race. And my, nice. you know, still a PR. And because after that, I'm like, I'm going to go longer. And I ran, for, I think it was my first 12-hour. And then I set my sights. It was like, okay, I'm an ultra runner. I'm going for Badwater. And then I just started checking off uh, a couple, you know, 300 milers and a few of these other things. And that's, that's how I started made, started to make my journey towards Badwater. Got it. And you kind of, I don't want to say lucked into Badwater, but you almost kind of lucked into Badwater because at one of your 100-mile finishes, wasn't someone from Badwater at that particular race? Did I, do I remember that correct from another interview? Mm -hmm. Say that again. When you was someone from Badwater at one of your your one one of your one hundred mile finishes, is that how you kind of got a foot in the door to Badwater? Well, because they wouldn't um, let you run one of the hundred milers. Uh, was that key, keys? Well, yeah, yeah. I told you that I'd, I'd run the uh, Akron Canal Corridor one hundred, mm -hmm. also my hometown. Uh, which is a very easy, flat, uh, it's, a, it's along the Ohio Erie Canal. It's, a, oh, okay. like, it's like the towpath of the old canal system. So it's super flat. It's all crushed limestone, no road, virtually none. And it was actually pretty cool. <laughs> so definitely not a good starter for, yeah. you know, not very good preparation for bad water. But that was my first 100 mm -hmm. uh then it was my second 100 <laughs> uh, but i knew i needed to do something good and hot so i signed up for daytona mm -hmm. which you know was uh last couple of years was was uh taken over by uh bob becker who oh, okay is uh good friends with uh uh chris costman and yeah, who's finished Badwater? Maybe well, I think it's seven times. Uh, right. But I said like that. Uh, but uh, Bob Becker's also a student of my coach. So yeah, Ultra World is a small world. Uh, I signed up for Daytona. I ran that. It wasn't super hot. I mean, it's Florida. It's definitely humid. But it was early December. I mean, it still got a little bit hot. The worst part was the humidity. It just, I was just dripping wet the entire time. So it was super miserable. That air you can wear. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't dry off. I tore my feet to shreds. But mm -hmm. uh, I finished with less than 30 minutes to spare. 
And at the very, I met, even though Bruce Kosman met me at the finish, but I actually met him, you know, at packet pickup or a couple of days earlier. But uh, the first thing, he was like the first one to congratulate me. And he says, hey, you're applying for Badwater, aren't you? Yeah, uh, after what I just experienced, screw you, dude. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like that's what, part of the reason I'm doing this is so I can, you know, go challenge myself with bad water. Got it. So you just wanted yeah. the hardest challenge, which would be bad water, no, that I can think of. So um, after that first 100 mile experience, how did you feel after that? Did you just immediately want to go? run another hundred miles or were you just like trashed? Well, all right. You know, you know how it goes, right? <laughs> uh, same, like every ultra I run, every mountain so you climb, it's like before and after. You're like, I can't wait for the next one. I can't wait for this one. They're all awesome. When you're on the, on the side of the mountain, when you're in the middle of that ultra, you're like, but well, how did I talk myself into this again? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, then, and, and as then soon you're as never doing it again till yeah, the next one. Never again. I don't know why. You know, but yeah, uh, <laughs> at the very end, you know, that finish line, I'm like, that sucks so bad. But uh <laughs> give it give it a few, I say a few days, give me 20 minutes. I'll be, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, we're back on ultra sign up before we leave the finish line. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So you get to Badwater and you have this unfortunate event happen where you cannot use what you have trained with. Well, and let me stop there because someone had asked at work. Um, I had been asking uh, around some people at work. So because not everyone runs like we do, like we are in the, the, the rarity, if you will. And so I've asked some people, you know, hey, I'm talking to this guy. He's done this and this. As a non-runner, what kind of things would you like to hear? And someone asked, how do you pick your pacers? How do you pick the friends that you run with? Do you just say, hey, you owe me a favor and this is the favor I'm cashing in? Or, and do you have to train with them? Do you have to build up rapport? I mean, obviously, I would assume that you have to build some sort of trust level. Uh, or do you just have one pacer that does all of these with you? You know, none of that's true. <laughs> uh i maybe and maybe a bit brazen maybe 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 a little careless i don't know but uh one of the things that i developed when i was in the military was a trust for the you know the people to my left and right when i there i had to put my life in other people's hands i had to trust them to you know watch my sex mm -hmm. uh so it was pretty easy for me to you know, run shoulder to shoulder with somebody and have them be my eyes. So the way we normally run, and it's 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 fairly straightforward. I just use this little tether. Um, it could be anything, a t-shirt, a sock, whatever. In fact, I started with a one of those dog tug of war rope. You know, little toys, uh, six inches with a fat knot on either end. I would hold a knot. My guide would hold a knot. And we would just run side by side holding on to this dog toy. Uh, since 
you know, had somebody sew just a piece of nylon webbing, like a backpack strap with a couple loops, just big enough to fit about three fingers in there. And I'll, I'll hold one loop. My guide will hold another loop. It will, won't be more than six inches uh, apart. And that's how we run, shoulder to shoulder. And I get all my cues we, through the entire run through that little tether. If uh, I need to pick up my feet, you know, there's a you know crack in the sidewalk, a curb or whatever, my guy just kind of gradually picks up the the tether and it's like a marionette string. It just I start high stepping it. And that's it. If we have to go single file, my guide takes that tether and swings it back behind his or her back like they're trying to hide me. And I just run behind them with my arm straight out in front of me, which isn't sustainable. But if we got to get around, you know, somebody in a narrow spot or whatever. So what you were talking about when we got to bad water, well, well first, uh, that's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. There's not like a whole lot of training. There's not a real learning curve to that. You know, if you're a runner and here, hold on to this. All right, go. Yeah, some people are more nervous than others. People will like jerk on that tether. And that's like my sign to jump. Like, oh, geez. You know, but there's a snake in the road or something. But mm -hmm. um, otherwise, we just chat, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's not much to it. So if somebody's going out for a run, I'm like, hey, can I come with you? Yeah, sure. How do we do it? Uh, well, I'll, t I'll teach you on the fly. And when it comes to pacers and guides, it's just, you know, the, the, the one thing about being blind and being, well, for anything, everything becomes a team sport, right? So the most difficult part is finding people that can match my distance or pace to, to go running with, or I just got to get the miles in however I, I can. So I'll go out for 10 miles with somebody on the road uh, and I'll go their pace and then I'll come back and get on the treadmill for another 20 or 30 or whatever that, you know, for my long run day, if I, if I have to. Mm -hmm. so when we got to Badwater, we got there about, we got there two days early. Cause of course uh, I've, I've only met one person on the entire team uh and including my my coach who i've been working with for like 10 years we've never met in person but um <clears throat> it was uh lisa smith badge was my coach okay. uh it had uh vincent antunas mr trail toes on the team and um uh kathy akazinski uh, who just finished just completed uh marathon de saab oh, okay. uh, in last april so and then my my local friend, another uh, army retired, you know, retired army ranger, and most frequent training partner, I invited him along, uh, David uh, Kelly, and he just knew me and my running style the best. Uh, so we get there to uh, was it Furnace Creek, you know, the national park. And first, it was hilarious. Uh, I've been training for months. I've been running, running in Florida for years. And mostly, when I want to train for heat, I just 
go out to my treadmill in my garage and I leave the, I leave the garage door shut. And that thing's like one of those, you know, ancient era, like prison sweat lodges, you know, sweat huts. And the heat just radiates in there and it's so miserable. Yeah. So um, I've been training for months in that, you know, the, in the devil's jockstrap. I get, uh, to i get to you know, death valley and the first time we all like lace up and go for just a, like a two mile five mile uh shake out run everybody's standing outside the doors and i was just i was just waiting for it. i knew it was coming man this is hot and i was just grinning from ear to ear i'm going yeah but it's a dry heat <laughs> but the first thing we learned was that there was no way we were going to run single file or run shoulder to shoulder. It was going to be single file the whole way. And of course we instantly knew there's no way that I could do the tether thing that I've been running for like 11 years, 12 years, just well, with this tether, uh, you know, side by side, elbow to elbow, and you couldn't because you had to stay outside. You got to stay to the left of the white line. And it's all on the road. And there's only about a foot and a half between the white line and the edge of the, you know, the pavement. And then it's just scree. And so it's either you know, my guide run in the dirt the whole way while I'm running on the pavement. Or, and we switch from time to time. Or we had to figure something else out. So we all collectively put our heads together and we came up with this really neat idea. And I don't know if I've actually invented the, the, this method or just independently discovered it, but I brought my trekking poles I used to go into the mountains with. And I, it, I, uh, we, we taped the tips of the poles right to the pacer's uh, belt, pacer's bib belt. Okay. And I held the handles and followed behind my guide with the, the poles straight out ahead of me. And, and one thing we did, we also, because I'm, I'm deaf, completely deaf. Both my ears are turned off except for this one cochlear implant. If it weren't for this one cochlear implant, I'd be pulling the full color. So in <laughs> the worst part about that, I mean, yes, it's kind of like trying to figure out what's going on inside the kitchen through a drive-through speaker. But uh, when there's just the slightest breeze over the microphones of this thing, it's like trying to talk to somebody in a convertible with a top down. So uh, we also needed to develop a whole new communication system because we couldn't do that little tether thing and they couldn't just talk right into my ear because we're, you know, single file. So somebody grabbed, went, went out to the store, bought a whistle and it was like one full, one, one blast, one tweet, whatever, uh, for walk, two for run, three for stop. That was it. That's how we we did the whole uh, 135 miles through Death Valley over three mountain ranges. You know, me trailing 
my guides and they would rotate out every few miles. And here's the coolest part. Besides the fact that that actually worked and we figured it out with crap in my bag. Uh, because of that tether and having to run basically with one arm at a 90 degree angle for a decade, I developed some really nasty knots and, you know, like joint issues, muscle issues over the years from not having a natural you know, gait, not having a natural arm swing. And the funniest thing about it, when I got, when we started running with it, I, I would literally, that was what I was most afraid of was running 135 miles with my arm locked in position. Cause that hurt more than what I put my feet through at Daytona. And uh, we started running with these uh, trekking poles. And the coolest part was because of my guide's hip motion, the trekking poles kind of moved like horizontal pistons. And I got to do more or less a natural arm swing for the first time in a decade. It was awesome. No pain whatsoever in my shoulders. But, well, yeah, everything else probably hurt. So um, so what was your lowest point at Badwater? Man, Father Crawley, the crucible. We we set off, it was uh, 8 o'clock on 4th of July, right? Badwater Basin, 282 feet below sea level. And we had, uh, I think it was... I forget now. It all kind of, the numbers all meshed together for me. But uh, I had to get about 40, was it f the first checkpoint, it was 48 miles. And, um, that, you know, or, you know, you're disqualified, right? Mm -hmm. So I was terrified, especially because, you know, my previous finishes always being very last minutes. I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to do all this terrain, these mountains, you know. <clears throat> so the first, first real test was that first time check. And we came in six hours ahead of the cutoff time. I'm like, that's awesome. But that's the Furnace Creek. Uh, I think that's the Furnace Creek checkpoint. And we actually... We're staying in the the park hotel, you know, the National Park Hotel of Furnace Creek, which is at the fifty about the fifty uh, mile mark. So we had to go backtrack, start to the starting line, and then run past where we were staying at the hotel to get to the checkpoint. And we made it in such great time. My uh, you know, my coach Lisa was like, you know what I like to do sometimes. If I have enough time, I like to just go into the, the hotel, maybe get a quick shower, uh, jump in the pool. It's, I just jump right in with my clothes on, and it feels so good. And I was thinking about that for hours through the night. Like, I'm going to jump in that pool if I got time. And everybody's like, we're doing so great. And uh, why don't we just keep going? I'm like, yeah, but pool? <laughs> death death valley there's a pool come on right so like we got but the thing was everybody knew they didn't want to say it but that first 50 miles was like bad water kindergarten 
it's so flat and so fast. And we'd gone, we'd, we'd done so well on it, but it would could it kind of gave you a, a false sense of security. So right after that checkpoint, it started, it just goes up. And I think that's Panamint, uh, um, Panamint Valley and that climb. And that wasn't, that wasn't fun, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't until we get past Panamint and the second climb was Father Crawley. And that's like, that's the toughest part of bad water for most people because it's, uh, it's, it's still really hot. And it's like 4,000 feet of, of gain in, I don't know, seven or eight miles. And it's all these switchbacks up this, the side of this mountain. And I, I've, if we're counting all my infirmities, I'm blind, I'm deaf. I get an added bonus of having a sleep disorder because of my blindness. Excuse me. Um, and so the the sleep disorder is called non twenty four for short, and it just means I, I can't reset my circadian rhythm. So some days the the the, the, the clocks are just flip flopped. So in the mm -hmm. middle of the day, I'm a super. I'm just a zombie. In the middle of the night, I'm wide awake. And then when I lost my hearing, the added bonus gift was I lost my vestibular balance, my inner ear gyro. So <laughs> I'm going senseless, but uh, uh, the problem with with that though is that like I trained, we we actually get our balance three different ways. One is vestibular balance, the inner ear balance. Two is eyesight. We actually see ourselves in relationship to the world, and three is through physical contact with the world. So the more points of contact I have, the better the balance I have. And more sensitive my the touch is in my nerves, my muscles and all that, the better my balance is. And of course, I'm missing the other two ways to stay balanced. And the more fatigued I get, the more out of balance, the more wobbly I become. So I'm course tired it's been over 24 hours or so it's about 70 80 miles into this race i'm on the toughest part it's hot i'm going up this mountain and all, each one of these switchbacks it does like the racetrack thing where it bevels out and it, so each time we hit a curve it's like gravity's trying to pull me into the road so, you know, I don't know if I'm, I don't know, I doubt I'm the only one, but you know, when you get to that point of absolute misery and yeah. you're looking for excuses, you know, like I could roll my ankle, nobody would be the wiser. I'm so miserable. Then I got beyond that to absolute despair. Like, I tell people I can pick up my feet and put them down until my veins are pumping battery acid. I'm like breathing fire. I do not care. I will run my feet, like the skin of my feet off. And I have multiple times. I will keep going until it kills me. Except 
at this moment, I can pick up my feet and put them down, but I had no control over where I put my feet when they came down. And yeah. I was hearing these cars just whip past me as they were going down the mountain. And they were just inches away. It, it felt like it, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm all over the place. I could fall to one direction, fall up the switchback and roll into some dirt and just turn myself into a nasty sugar, sugar cookie. Or more likely, I would trip to my, my right and just eat the grill of a Volvo going 100 miles an hour down this mountain. And it terrified me. So that was my lowest point. I I don't know how far up that mountain I had to call a break. I had to call a timeout. Uh, the team, you know, huddled up. I told them what was going on. And they reminded me right, that my crew wasn't just there to point me in the right direction, make sure that I you know, had all my calories and, and water. They were there to keep me safe. They were there to support me emotionally, right? Physically safe. And I needed to lean on them. They were there for me to, to lean on. And they just reminded me that, you know, that's this is why I do these things. I challenged myself, not so I can test myself physically, I could test myself mentally. Mm -hmm. So, so so I have, I have a quick question. So you 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 were saying that you, you know, you hit kind of a speed bump there, and um, did you did you lose a lot of time there? Because looking at your finish, you you had a pretty stout finish. Because if if my memory is still there, the cutoff is like what forty eight hours for bad water, and and you you finished in like forty two and some change. Um, so it, it appears that you kept pretty close to that six hour buffer that you were talking about earlier. So it didn't really, I mean, did you lose a lot of time during that, during that, or did you, did you pick up time afterwards or what did that look like? There was I'm trying to think it, there was one point where I was starting to develop some blisters, some hot spots and, uh, we took a, you know, a little extra time to sit down, change socks, get some tape on that kind of thing. That took a little while. And there were three other, uh, points in the race where they shoved me into the crew truck and gave me a 15 minute nap. Otherwise, oh, and there was, yeah, one of those nap points i actually got to sit down and eat a burger which was kind of cool so maybe all in all about a 45 minute break here or there uh for the most part you know it was 15 minute naps and then back on the road we went a little faster in some spots of course and a little bit slower in others but uh um we yeah we kept that was one of the things about that crew. Uh, they were great about keeping me on pace. And I've been told in other races that uh, uh, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I'm a really good 
runner as did to have for a pacer because somebody just I mean, maybe it's also like the soldier in me somebody says okay it's time to go and i just get up all right let's go no matter how miserable i am or how fantastic that camp chair feels or what <laughs> how, how delicious the pierogies are when somebody says it's time to go I'm like all right time to go right now when you're at that point of despair because that's essentially the only thing that I could describe that I could think of. What is your, when you don't want to keep going and you're at that spot when, you know, I can roll an ankle and no one will know. And I can just, I can just make up an excuse and, and we can all go home. But what is your motivation to keep going? What, I mean, I know you say you challenge yourself. You want to challenge yourself to the best, but we all have that point where our bodies are saying we're done whether it's actually done or it's our brain trying to play a trick on us to essentially preserve our life. Cause that's kind of what our brain's supposed to do. What do you fall back on? Is it your family that you think about it? Do you pull from your military training when things are as low as it seems that they can possibly be? What do you cling to? What brings you back and what keeps you going? Um, my life since 2011 when the, the bomb blast uh, took my eyes i've kind of been my own case study in mindset and resilience and uh i've had a few occasions where yeah, more than a couple where i've been feeling pretty pretty low and i gotta remind myself what what I'm saying, right? What's what's the self-talk going on at that moment? What am I telling myself? And I I call them my demons, right? That little devil on your shoulder, the the voice in your head that says, I can't, it's too hard. Uh, you, you don't have it. You're you weren't, you didn't earn it enough to be where you are. You, you shouldn't be had bad water you just don't have the experience you don't have you didn't train well enough whatever it is i can't why is this happening to me right it mm -hmm. should be different all those things and i realized that those demons they're that's, that's not external that's me that's me talking to myself so all i gotta do is change the language instead of why is this happening to me why is this happening for me and instead of why is this happening for me why is this happening for me so i can teach others and if i can find a way to make it a, a lesson uh, an experience that i can share with others and help them through their difficulties yeah uh, i heard this one saying, I probably read it in a meme somewhere, when it said, someday your story of struggle might be someone else's blueprint for survival. That's so, good. yeah, yeah. And when I put it that way, we wouldn't, when it's put it that way, that's why I struggle. That's why I look forward to the next challenge. And that's why I put myself in the bad position where you know i go to bad water and i i give myself a bad day right 
and I'm there on Father Crawl on the Father Crawley climb, and I'm wasted physically, mentally, emotionally. I have this breakdown, and that voice, right? Those demons in your head are talking to me, telling me, "You can't withstand the storm. You know, you can't handle it." And that's when you just gotta smile and say, "I've been waiting for you." I was expect I was expecting you to show. What took you so long? Yeah, <laughs> there you are. Right. So, so um, you wrap. So, so if we were to flip the script here and say you were pacing one of us or one of your buddies or whoever, and they or we or whoever you're pacing is having that moment in that chair, what would you say to them? Sorry, one more time. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just saying, so if we flip the script a little bit and you were the pacer and uh, you're pacing, say, like one of us or one of your buddies and we were having like a moment in that chair, what would you say? What would you say to what would you say to us or them or whoever you're pacing? Soldier of buddy. <laughs> I like that. It's succinct <laughs> to the point. <laughs> Listen, I mean, ultra running, it comes down to just a few things most of it is just math right calories expend equals so much you know like salt water calories you got to put in and the rest of it is just in your head unless you're seriously injured and everybody knows pretty well whether it's hurt or injured right mm -hmm. hurt hurt you can keep going injured maybe you should stop it depends on your level of stubborn right okay. right yeah. everything else is in your head so you gotta like i like a, i was talking to myself what am i saying to myself uh, if i was pacing somebody else i just say hey you just gotta put one foot in front of the other the rest of the thoughts will work themselves out uh who was it we were talking about you know, being in the middle of the night the wee hours you know the small hours before dawn uh sometimes the worst right it's mm -hmm. dark it's miserable there's no wind no breeze right and you come up to an aid station and somebody says just wait the sun's gonna come up soon and you're gonna turn into superman sometimes all it takes is a little sunlight, the right, you know, right smile on somebody, the right word from somebody. And it, it just changes your whole frame of mind. So sometimes it's just what you say to somebody. John is notorious in our group chats and at races that we've run together to say, don't quit in the middle of the night. Make yeah, it to the next single. sunrise. That's the single most valuable piece of advice I received before my first hundred miler was don't quit in the night. And generally that's true. If you can make it through the night, you're good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just Love wait it. till wait till sunrise comes up. Cause you're right. You turn into a whole different person. And once because you've made it through the hardest part at that point. You've made it through that three to five AM when everything hurts you're tired and you just want to go home and go to bed but you've still got 20 miles left or however <laughs> far you make it to sunrise and you're just like hey 
hardest part's over. It's all downhill from here. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So you rally, yeah. you, you, you reach this, this point, you're, you're moving again. At what point did you feel confident saying, I've got this finish in the bag? I don't get I, I'm not sure if I ever said that to myself. Um <laughs> I, I say it when I cross the finish line, normally not before. <laughs> I think it was the next like the the, the five the final morning, right? You go past you, you go up Father Crawley and then down the other side. And you get towards uh, the, the the ghost town of Darwin, and you run past what is that? The old Owen Reservoir, and it's just flat. And it's so funny because uh, I've heard people talk about this the run towards Whitney, and it seemed I think it's called what's a Gunsight Pass or something, and it's. It seems like it gets further away. <laughs> it's like it never you're running towards it and it never gets closer. And a lot of people lose spirit. And it's so funny because like I don't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> but we were making good time. I felt okay. My feet weren't too, you know, they were they were blistered, but they weren't too bad. They weren't anything like they were chewed up in uh at Daytona. Man, that was bad. And we get to Lone Pine and we're at like the last 15 miles. <laughs> I got a, got my last 15 minute nap. And then I ran the hardest half marathon in the world uh, up Mount Whitney. But the thing was, I knew we had it already. We, we, we had so much time to get up that, but we charged up that mountain. I ran up that last 13 miles. We didn't walk. I mean, you know, we, we did run, walk, run, walk, but it wasn't like I sat back and just used up my remaining time. We were passing people, you know, good runners that didn't, that couldn't see what they were doing. We were passing them up this mountain and we were, we were in high spirits. It was felt, it felt good. So yeah, I think it was somewhere around Darwin. I think it was like, I'm almost there. Which you never say to anybody else in an ultra. Right. Almost there. Right. No. What inspired that that charge? Was it the fact that you're like, we're almost there? Let's just is it everything hurts and I just want to sit down. I want to I want to actually get more than a 15 minute nap. I want my bacon soaked pierogies. I want to go jump in the mm-hmm. hotel pool. What was it that, what spurred that inside you to say, let's go? Yeah, I, the the same thing that keeps me coming back is that I want to, I want to be a hero to my sons. I got three boys. And I want them to be able to point at me and say, no matter what, my dad can still do anything. And yeah, I'm a I'm a veteran. Yeah, I still have this whole brotherhood of the uniform. I owe it to them to be and do my best. Uh, 
I have this ethical imperative to succeed. So I wasn't going, I didn't, I didn't try, I didn't, I didn't apply for, you know, I didn't register for bad water to try it out. And mm -hmm. I, I, I went to bad water finish, to finish that thing. And there was, there was nothing going to stop me from pumping my legs until I got to the end. And was your family there at the finish for you? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we made it to the finish, and it was so funny because I'm so, you know, of course I'm so trashed, I'm so out of it, and Chris Cosman's there at the finish line, and he's talking. I'm not quite sure what he's saying, uh, you know, because the, 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 there's clapping, there's people cheering, um, and there's a little bit of wind, and he's talking, and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be holding my hand out to shake his hand or. <laughs> is he is he is it like a, one of those awkward things where he's like trying to hand me a buckle and i'm just not getting it <laughs> so, <laughs> but he's just he's just talking and talking and like is there a chair around here Could give me the buckle let me sit down <laughs> but there's news there uh he wants to he, he turned it into this whole uh thing where he's like come on over here here's your buckle Here's a shirt. I'm like, here, let me take the shirt. And I thought this is like another awkward thing. Do you want me to put this on? You, I just want you to hold it up. Ah. Yeah. So there's pictures, and then he asked me, um, you know, blind, blind deaf guys are stupid. But uh he asked me, so how what did he say? Like, how was it? You know, how was bad water? And I was like, excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> probably the best word you could use no yeah i, I don't know when, when, whenever anybody asks like so what'd you think of the race i'm like i don't know uh, it, fun is never the right word but <laughs> but no yeah you enjoy yourself in this like miserable way right uh it's um kind of a sadistic fun mm-hmm but, but that's the thing it's a test it's painful it's miserable you're cranky for uh, cranky for most of it um, but i had this just like i had an unfair advantage in my team maybe in like the heat training in my garage um the fact that i didn't i, I couldn't see how much further i had to go so I just trusted the pace and the time and my team, and um, I got to eat like I always want to eat. <laughs> right. Every, every mile and a half, I got a cookie, some Pringles, you know, a Dr. Pepper. It was awesome. I loved it. Uh, I, I think, in you know, seeing as how I'm a confectioner, chocolatier, um, I have to run because <laughs> of all the calories. Well, you know, they say never trust a skinny chef, right? And that and that the phrase, I guess. No. Right. No. So what's next? We've got the bad water finish. What's next on the agenda? Where do you go from here? Um, do you feel that this may be this may be the worst way 
that I could think of just to describe it, but it's the easiest way. Do you think this made you some sort of poster child for adaptive athletes to say, hey, we can do these things? Um, and, and, and along those same lines, what can races do to be more accommodating to uh, adaptive athletes? My friend Eric Weimer, you know, I mentioned him earlier, who climbed mm -hmm. Everest, and he was coming down off that mountain, right? He was a base camper or something like that. It was just in, uh, just, you know, that exuberance of elation of having accomplished what nobody else has accomplished. And his, what a, his guide, his mountain guide said, took him, took him aside and said, Hey, don't let this be the greatest thing you ever accomplish. And of course, uh, me when he told me what his guy, his friend had said, I'm like, do you know of a higher mountain? <laughs> but of course, it wasn't literally like go climb a bigger thing. It was, you know, do something with it. And, uh, you know, I use the story in w my speeches when I go talk and try to motivate others through their own difficulties. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking for other challenges. You know, one of my friends kind of volunteered me to start working towards the my, you know, marathon in every state. So we're going to do a few back-to-back -back races here in the spring. Um. And of course, I'm looking for another long run. But uh, uh, you after Badwater, I think I'm going to retire. <laughs> I quit. I'm going to. I'm going to leave him one or more. Drop the mic. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm always looking for something. And if it's it's like you know when you're you're especially boys when you're a kid and somebody says I dare you, well you have to. Now that I'm an adult, they don't even have to say I dare you. <laughs> right. There is no, no there is no triple dog dare from Christmas story happening. And we just go do it. No. no. Now it's like, so you want to do this? I'm like, all right. No, that sounds terrible. Well, okay. You know? So 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 fun fact. The guy who finished four minutes before you is from our hometown. He is 71 years old. And his name is David Jones. And he finished right before you. Like, literally, he was the, the person that finished right in front of you by just a, a few minutes. So it is a very small world. Hmm. That's awesome. Congratulations to him. Yeah. I mean, he's he. I think he owns the record there. Um, doesn't he, John? John's our historian. Um, uh, he might have an age group record. He's finished yeah. there like over 10 times and he won once back in the uh, 90s. Yeah. So he's he's a he's a he's an old pro at it. But I thought it was cool that you guys basically finished together and he's from the town that we're in and is acquaintances of a couple of us. So it's, it's kind of neat. Yeah, um, like I said, you know, ultra is a small world, right? If you're looking for like another just tough event and you like to run in the heat, you know, you should think about visiting us up here in Tennessee and running the uh, Vol State 500K. 
it's a nice um it's a nice summer race put on by Laz. Okay, why not? Same. <laughs> I I don't I don't need to be dared. Right. So, you like funny story about funny, funny story about the uh old timers finishing Badwater. You know Bob Becker, the uh Keys 100 organizer and Daytona 100 um was that 2022 20, when he became the oldest finisher of Badwater? I think he literally it was literally it was actually a DNF by like 12 minutes or something. <laughs> something ridiculous like that. But uh it's like the most epic DNF of all time. Mm-hmm. He was hunched, he was like bent over. Uh but I was like crawling up Mount Whitney and amazing at 77 years old. And he he's um like i said lisa smith batchin's student also but lisa is an 11 time runner of Badwater. she has 10 official finishes on her 10th finish she was wearing number seven as a bib number right and uh Chris Cosman, you know, Badwater, they uh and Rinchicor, uh retired the bib until 2022 when they pulled it out of retirement for Bob. And Bob ran with number seven. And then last year, I guess they you know they, they don't know what retiring a number means. Uh they gave the seven to me. And I thought that was kind of cool, lucky number seven. But then Lisa told me all about the history in this thing. So we've got a picture of all three of us together with this bib. And I guess it's going back up on the shelf, at least until the next race. I don't know. Until next year, because they don't know how to <laughs> until Until the next time it comes out of retirement. Now, do you hope that one day your sons tackle these things? Or do you hope that they pursue their own adventures and their own challenges uh, do you run with your sons? I know that you've got the two five-year-olds, but does the 13-year-old run with you at all? You know, we've run uh, 5Ks before, and he's in cross-country now. He's a little bit short to really guide me. He's, he's a little dude for his age, uh, but he is fast. Yeah, we call him hail on wheels. Uh, but he is super athletic, way more like like natural athleticism in him, really fast. Uh, <laughs> the six pack for, for since he was like ten. Uh, it's incredible. He's and he's one of those one of those kids that just picks up a a racket or a bat or a stick or whatever it, the sport is, and he's. He's like an intermediate level in an hour, right? Uh, he loves lacrosse is probably his main sport. Um, and he just he just kind of drops into flow, like flipping a switch. So it's really cool to, to you know, to, to, to track his progress in running. And yeah, he's he's going, he's he's taking, he's going to states and cross country already. So nice. I'm really proud of him. 
Now, do you give them a hard time if they say, you know, hey, I had a bad day, and you just do you just say, look at your old man, or what do you say to them when they're, you know, not having a great day? I mean, do you just tell them soldier up? Well, the other thing is, I gotta keep moving if I'm gonna be able to keep up with that kid when he gets his, his when his legs start to get a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I gotta I gotta I gotta stay healthy, especially the way I eat. Well, that's all right. A little fudge never hurt anyone. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I know you've got your own podcast. So in closing, where can people go to connect with you, listen to your podcast? I know you do your coaching, um, and you also, I believe, do real estate investment as well. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Um, so where, yeah, where can people go to connect with you? Uh, social media, your your podcast, all that stuff. Well, I'm uh I tell people I sell fudge to buy rentals. Uh but uh, uh you can you can catch me on my podcast, Point of Impact with Aaron Hale. And you can contact me if you'd like to learn about speaking at uh Aaron Hale Podcast at gmail.com. And the social medias are all at a clay hale, me personally, uh Facebook, Twitter, that kind of stuff. And if you want to catch the cooking show, Aaron Hale's Cooking Without Looking on TikTok, that's at EOD Confections. EOD Confections, which is that I know it's Extraordinary Delights, but was the, that's also a play on your position in the in the Navy or uh, not in the Navy uh, when you were in EOD tech, correct? That's right. EOD uh, once stood for and uh, still in most circles and stands for explosive ordnance disposal and of course when we were coming up with a name for uh the the fudge company i was was thinking about all the fun ways you can play with eod because when in the when in the job we used to say that eod meant everyone's drunk everyone's divorced uh expert on demand uh but then i thought how about extraordinary delight and it stuck. And it is, I'm telling you, you've hit a home run with your fudge. It is the best fudge I've ever had. And I mean that. So, hey, Aaron, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate everything that you've shared about Badwater and everything that you've gone through and how you were able to just soldier on. So thanks again. Uh, John, you want to, or uh, Jason, you want to take us out? You're better at taking us out than I am. <laughs> All right, guys, that is it. We have we have had some some great conversation with Mr. Hale tonight. As always, you can find us on all the social medias. We have I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we are TikTokers now. So watch out, people. Get on the TikTok. Watch us act like fools trying to figure out how to use it, and uh, listen to some trashy fellas talking about some running. We'll see you next week. Have a good evening.